You're about to listen to the IC News podcast. We hope you enjoy it. Please don't forget, our show can only succeed with your support. Tell your friends. Share the link around on social media. Leave us a rating and a review on whichever platform you're listening on. And while we have your attention, take a second to hit that subscribe button. That way, you'll get a brand new episode each and every Saturday. You're listening to IC News, the only network bringing you the stories from across the multiverse. After another horrifying stabbing attack, this time in Glasgow, 2020 successfully clinches the title for the most monumental set of evil twats in living memory, seeing off Manchester City by a comfortable 23 points. Boris Johnson calls an end to the daily coronavirus briefings, claiming that he desperately needs a rest after working one day in every ten. Culture Secretary Oliver Dowden publishes an ambitious five-stage plan for reopening the arts and entertainment sectors, beginning with a slow raising of the middle finger and progressing to screaming sort out your fucking selves in the middle of the West End. And finally, Matt Hancock suggests the government may have to close beaches in the hot weather if the number of coronavirus cases rises, meaning he'll have to shut the dirtle door in people's faces. Hello and welcome to IC News. Sit down, make yourself at home, you're welcome here. We're an inclusive movement and it's important to us to end factionalism among our listeners and once again bring unity to the news. But just bear in mind, if you share that Maxine Peake article, we'll grab you by the scruff of the neck and hoof you into orbit before you can say criticism of the Israeli state isn't automatically anti-Semitism. Oh, fuck, here we go again. Earlier this week, Shadow Education Secretary Rebecca Long-Bailey changed her name by deed poll to Rebecca Short-Staley, having found herself unceremoniously sacked from the Shadow Cabinet for tweeting a link to an interview with Peake that alluded to an anti-Semitic conspiracy theory. It's the scandal that just keeps on giving in the Labour Party's apparent determination to consume itself from within, with Keir Starmer clearly taking a hard line against any form of racism – Unless, of course, it was directed in recent memory at Diane Abbott, in which case he seems reluctant to take any action whatsoever. It's a hot mess of a situation that highlights just how awkwardly Labour now have to tiptoe around any stinky whiff of anti-Semitism. Without acting decisively, Starmer would be immediately open to criticism from the Jewish community and the right-wing press, and he's clearly decided that he would rather face the backlash from the left of his own party, who are now furious at what they see as a confected overreaction designed to purge their influence from the front benches. It's important to point out that while Israel have had some involvement with American counter-terrorism training, and it's deeply concerning that any state with an appalling history of human rights abuses should be considered for that platform in the first place, they are far from the only country involved in sharing training with the US. It is not clear at all that there is any kind of Israeli-led training program that has unduly influenced the physical methods used by American police. By conflating the existence of this training with the death of George Floyd, Peake implied an overarching causality that shifts the responsibility for decades of racist American police brutality over to a shadowy and malignant foreign influence. That's a position that's politically difficult for a party embroiled in an anti-Semitism scandal to be seen to defend. Peake herself has since walked back on the implication, and Amnesty International have clarified that they have never reported that Israel have taught American police the sort of technique used in Floyd's death. 
It's an unfortunate misstep for Long Bailey, who may have rendered her position untenable by initially refusing to retract and apologise for sharing the article on Twitter. Starmer now faces the awkward conundrum of replacing his shadow education secretary with an appointment that has to avoid alienating the left of his party even further. Just don't hold your breath for the job going to Diane Abbott. I suspect that even if she was offered it, she wouldn't feel particularly welcome under a leader whose tolerance for racist behaviour within Labour seems selective at best. Moving on from Labour's latest attempt to shoot itself in the foot with a giant fucking howitzer, this week saw further announcements from the government on how Britain is set to navigate the winding path to a post-lockdown future. In a few short days, pubs will be reopening, albeit with Covid-secure measures and social distancing in place. Our resident conspiracy theorist, Danny Sutcliffe, is no fan of any suppression of our personal freedoms, and it's fair to say he's pretty excited. Hi, pal. That's right. July the 4th is only a few days away, and I, for one, can't bloody wait. I've got me seat reserved, I've got me drinks ordered, and I'll be the first one through those doors to watch it all kick off. It's going to be mint. Well, you're optimistic about all this, then? Absolutely. After months of sitting on my ass, I don't think I've ever been so excited to get back through those doors. The stink of booze, the angry shouting, the unconscious wrecks slumped in the corner, snoring after they've pissed themselves. The drunken chanting, the exhausted and underpaid staff, desperately trying to keep control of the situation, having been thrown to the wolves by a government washing its hands of all responsibility. The bloodied noses and arms in homemade slings. It's going to be fucking anarchy. Jesus, Danny, what sort of pub do you drink in? Pub? What are you on about? I'm talking about A&E. Sorry, what? A&E, mate. I can't wait for it to reopen properly. With the amount of pressure that's been building up among the knobheads, when the pubs reopen, it's going to be like a grindhouse flick. I've got me tinnies ready and me camcorder all prepped. I'm going to make a mint from you've been framed. Yeah, I'm not sure that's quite the outcome the government are planning for, Danny. And since when did their track record count for shit? Mystic Meg or that octopus from the World Cup could have done a better job of predicting the best way to manage any of this, and they're still lying through their teeth now. There's no substitute for lived experience in a crisis like this. Believe me, when you spent months with nothing to drink, staring at the same four walls, forced to evaluate every decision that's led you up to this point, when you get out of that Thai prison, you need a fucking drink. When were you in a Thai prison? I don't like to talk about it, Sam. All I've got to say, with the benefit of hindsight, is that there's got to be a more comfortable way to smuggle rare eggs across the border. I don't think I want to know. One that doesn't break them in your anus when you're driving a jeep away from the police. Worst omelette ever. Danny, I'm not sure what any of this has got to do with navigating our way out of the pandemic safely. Well, that makes two of us, mate. I've read the government's plan for easing lockdown. I don't know what that's got to do with navigating our way out of the pandemic safely either. Unless the plan is to continually throw shit at the wall until something sticks. It's like the Wild West out here, pal. Just without musicals, or live comedy, or indoor gyms. Or mixing more than two households indoors, unless it's in a pub, which for some reason is fine. It's absolute nonsense. Well, we're supposed to be journalists. Surely it's our job to try and make sense of it all and, you know, report the facts. What's the point? You confront these bastards with their own facts and they'll just tell you they're misleading. 
Let's not fuck about. This is all just one giant gamble on a disastrous second wave of Covid never materialising. The government's entire model is being based on the political philosophy of the fucking mayor from Jaws. Except they'll look us in the eye when we've had a leg bitten off and tell us they're proud of Dido Harding's tremendous shark fighting abilities. None of our mitigation measures are properly in place yet. Two thirds of coronavirus contacts aren't even being traced. How the fuck can you expect to stop transmission with figures like that? What do you suggest we do then? I'm not an ideas man, Samuel. I'm just a man with a camera along for the ride. Now, if you don't mind, I better be off. I'm halfway up a tree and that Kestrel's going to be back any minute. Oh, bollocks, they've hatched already. I'm never going to fill that order at this rate. I'm Danny Sutcliffe, reporting for IC News. As businesses prepare to reopen and start desperately clawing back their financial losses, it's worth looking at how the government have been moving to support perhaps the most marginalised community living in Britain today, the tiny wanking circle of billionaire former press oligarchs. With a report on the aid package proposed by the Housing Secretary for these poor and suffering souls, we now go to Alison June-Smith, who is stood in a construction site, because that's what the story's about. Do you get it? Do you get why we do that sort of thing? Oh, it's clever, isn't it? Thanks, Sam. It's been a bit of an awkward week for Robert Jenrick. If you're not sure who he is, you may have seen him at the daily coronavirus briefing as part of the ever-changing merry-go-round of anyone willing to do Boris Johnson's work for him. He's the Secretary of State for Housing, Communities and Local Government, And over the last few weeks, he's been caught up in a potential scandal that calls into question just how many shits he has to give about all three of those responsibilities. Now, you're not going to need a fainting couch for this one, because guess what? It involves a conservative minister abusing his power by doing obvious favors for a wealthy donor. I know, right? Who could have seen this coming? And that donor was a former press baron and owner of the Daily Express. Well, blow me down with a feather, Robert. I am shocked, shocked, I tell you, to find out that Richard Desmond wanted help to avoid building social housing and paying out to support a community he was profiting from. There are lots of questions about the timing of this deal and the interactions between Jenrick and Desmond. Boris Johnson might consider the matter closed, but sitting on scandals and refusing to let them see the light of day is pretty much his M.O. at this point. Remember the Russia report? Me neither. Because it's still down the back of a sofa somewhere at number 10. Maybe Carrie Simmons will fish it out one day after Boris spills red wine on it. Nothing Jenrick has produced as evidence under pressure from the Labour Party has helped his case with the scandal. He's already had to accept that he acted unlawfully by overruling the government's planning inspector in order to get Desmond's West Ferry property development approved. The timing in trying to rush it through also tried to duck the local Labour's Council's introduction of a £40 million levy. 
And if you think that's all coincidence, Desmond himself makes it very fucking clear it wasn't. He texted Jenrick personally saying he didn't want to give money to a bunch of Marxists for nothing. Newsflash, dick. That money wasn't for nothing. At a time when local councils are desperately underfunded after years of cuts, it was for schools, hospitals, and infrastructure. And yeah, let's be honest. Probably a fair wedge for some pointless bureaucratic mismanagement. We are talking about a labor council after all. The whole affair stinks. And even if it falls short of any provable breach of the ministerial code, it speaks to the government's contempt for communities like Tower Hamlets. They could have benefited massively from proper social housing in this development. But guess what? Jenrick overruled his advisors on their recommendations for the development in that regard, too, potentially saving Desmond another hundred million or so. All for the sake of a 12 grand donation he probably flossed out from between his goddamn teeth. It's this kind of shitty cash-for-favors politics that makes it impossible to believe any word of the Johnson government's leveling-up agenda is spoken in good faith. This may not have been a breach of the code, but it's obviously against the spirit of it. And it demonstrates just how ideologically opposed ministers like Jenrick are to seeing local councils benefit from the profit margins of billionaire property developers. It highlights in glorious technicolor just what's going to be leveled up in this country. It's not communities like Tower Hamlets. It's the bank balances of corrupt assholes like Richard Desmond. I'm Allison June Smith, reporting for IC News. Now, what with all the exciting and scandalous developments going on here on Earth Prime this week, we've barely had time to even touch upon our capacity here at the network to send our reporters through the multiverse in search of fresh new insights into the week's hottest stories. Well, don't worry, we're about to make time. Over in the States here in our reality, Black Lives Matter protests continue to take place against a national backdrop of surging coronavirus cases and furious rhetoric from a president slumping drastically in the polls. We gave Tom King the key to the dimensional gate for an exclusive report into one of Trump's favourite ubermensch behind the curtain. Stephen Miller. It's a name you might not have heard before, but if you've seen his face, it's not one you'll have forgotten. Despite being only 35, he looks like a weird cross between one of the gentlemen from Buffy and the bloke with the pitchfork from American Gothic. If you've ever woken up suddenly pouring with sweat and terrified, that's the kind of hollow void of existential horror that exists in the space where Stephen Miller's heart should be. He's one of the least flushable turds in the toilet bowl of the Trump administration, so as we gear up towards November's election, it's worth having a look at why he's so instrumental to the president's hopes of winning a second term. Now the best way to do that is to use the dimensional gate to take Miller's life to its natural extreme. Hopefully that way we'll be able to see the absolute worst that he's capable of. I'm just going to put in a quick algorithm to find the reality that's best suited to him. So we're going to go for 
an American power structure that allows cruelty and incompetence to fail upwards, a complicit Senate that actively enables fascist tendencies and systemic white supremacy and nationalist values. Okay, that should do it. Right, off we go. Oh, well, what do you know? We're already here. Christ, that's depressing. Right, it turns out it's not possible to exaggerate Stephen Miller for the simple reason that he's already a cartoon supervillain. The term white supremacist gets thrown around a lot these days. Now, that sort of phrasing normally gets followed up with a rebuttal about how it's not helpful or productive to apply such dangerous labels. I've not got one for you, sadly. There are a lot of white supremacists around these days, and if the tag fits, I'm stapling it to the inside of their pointy white hoods. Stephen Miller is absolutely one of the most influential, and he's got the whole group back together, and unfortunately, this particular Steve Miller band are a screwdriver tribute act. Now, as one of Trump's chief policy wonks, he's overseen the administration's brutal immigration reforms. He's been fundamental in shaping some of Trump's rhetoric, if you can believe that anything the president says has been shaped in any way. More often than not, he just sounds like he's gargling with verbal diarrhoea before he spits it from the podium. However, there is a definite racist stink to that diarrhoea, and that's partly because Stephen Miller has spent his entire life splashing around in it like a baby Goebbels in a paddling pool full of shit. As much as the Trump administration loves to distort reality, it is now impossible to pretend that the President of the United States is anything other than utterly dependent on the support of white supremacists. If he wasn't, the horrible revelations about Miller's blatantly racist ideology when his emails were leaked last year would have spelt the end of his career. Instead, he's one of the few original Trump appointments that have successfully weathered the many storms of the President's political temper tantrums. Miller and the Trump campaign in general are now seriously upping the ante on the fascist signalling that appeals to the racist elements of Trump's voter base. The use of Nazi symbols in a recent press release about Antifa was far from accidental. It's not so much a nudge and a wink to the bigots anymore. The Trump campaign is basically looking the country in the eye as it defiantly wanks them off in a car park. Thankfully, there are glimmers of hope at the end of the tunnel. If there's one thing Stephen Miller and Trump himself are completely incapable of doing, it's reading the fucking room when it comes to Black Lives Matter. And while the president continues to attempt to reframe the protests as far-left anarchy and terrorism, he continues to alienate a generally sympathetic electorate, and he is sliding in the polls as a result. Miller's dog whistles are going to do nothing to bolster Trump's chances amongst voters who are in favour of police reform. Trump's loyalists might be shored up by all the posturing, but Republicans in general are spectacularly failing to build any kind of support beyond his base. Couple all of that with a disastrous COVID-19 response and the economy that's struggling to recover, and Joe Biden increasingly starts to look like the only sane course of action. Now, as it currently stands, Trump, 
and by extension Miller, are staring down the barrel of an electoral wipeout come November. If a second term for Trump sounds like a horrifying concept to you, it's worth seeing how it pans out. So, let's have a look at an earth where the Republicans are willing to suppress the Democratic vote and solicit foreign interference in the election in order to secure a victory without any fear of consequence whatsoever. Fucking hell. I'm Tom King, really hoping this is an IT problem, reporting for IC News. Oh dear, and if a Trump victory in November still sounds implausible to you, it's probably worth remembering just how well the rest of this fucking year has gone. For now, though, Tom's report brings us to the end of our broadcast. We leave you now with the headlines you may have missed. Jacob Rees-Mogg suggests that drinkers socially distance with a yard of ale when returning to pubs, which presumably he wants the public to pay for with their groats and shillings, like the cartoon peasants he thinks they are. Harrowing accounts of sexual assault at the hands of professional wrestlers continue to come to light under the speaking out hashtag, meaning that, for the first time, pro wrestlers are now frantically trying to convince their audience that they didn't really hurt anyone. Avid anti-vaxxer Novak Djokovic tests positive for coronavirus after a brutal backhand from Karma itself in the opening rounds of the Adria Tour. And finally, the Dixie Chicks dropped the Dixie from their name in support of Black Lives Matter. We contacted Dixie Chicken to see if they were considering becoming just chicken, but they didn't dignify us with a response, the massive racists. You've been listening to IC News. Thank you, and goodbye. You've just been listening to the IC News Podcast. If you enjoyed it, please don't forget to help us spread the word. Only with your support, can we reach more people, and build a larger audience. Every episode of IC News is written and produced by Sam Gore. And this particular episode also featured writing from Tom King. Every week we feature guest voices from the UK stand-up circuit. Check out the podcast description to find out who you've been listening to. They're all very funny people, and you should check out their stuff. The IC News main theme is written and performed by Eddie French and the graphic design for the show is by Chunchy.com. Any additional music in the show will always be properly credited in the podcast description, so if you hear something you like, please check that out and support the independent artists who offer their work to shows like ours.